Going Hill City Church, uh, so grateful that we're gathering around God's Word um, together today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and join me uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, we are continuing uh, just into a collection of sermons where we are walking through uh, the entire book of Romans. Uh, we believe that uh, that letter uh, to the church at Rome has so much to say uh, for the church, has so much to say uh, for our church. And so I want you to come with me, chapter one. We're going to pick up uh, where we left off, verse eight. He says, for, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, now at last, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen that is, that we may actually mutually be encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, church, let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your word. And so now, God, would you tune thy ears to hear thy grace. Might our hearts be stilled so that your word has fertile soil to land in. Lord, we want the seed that is your word, Lord, to find and take deep root into our soul and produce fruit uh, in our life. We want to hear from you today, Jesus. That's what we desire more than anything else. So calm and, and, and soften the voices, God, that might even be raging and bringing anxiety, all the things that are uh, looking forward to the next week, Lord, all those things. Let's just push them away for the next few moments, and let's rest in your word, be strengthened and encouraged by your word, challenged by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, all God's people said, uh, amen. I want us to dive kind of right back into, into the text here. We understand that Paul's writing this letter to a church in Rome. It's written somewhere around 57 AD. Again, he's had some time to, to rest. He's in Corinth. He's got some margin to sort of think. I want to encourage some of you this. Some of you are living your life in such a fast pace that you think you're able to produce your work when you're in that like heightened state Lord, of, of, of adrenaline. And I just want to remind you that your best work, my best work, Paul's best work actually comes out of a position and a posture of leisure. So he's at a place of rest. He's able to kind of collect his thoughts. And, and he's not simply wanting to just refute something or instill something, but he's wanting to really give a full sort of presentation of the good news. He's wanting to give the gospel to this church because he understands that if this church is to have any sort of unity, if it's to have any sort of foundation, that foundation has to be on the good news of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so he begins to kind of tell them, and he, he un, unpacks this kind of with a, with a thanksgiving. He lets them know that he's just grateful 
for them. He lets them know that their faith actually is reverberating out from their life and in their community, and it's being heard, that their story is being heard from different people in different places. I wanna encourage you that your life actually has an, an echo. It has the ability to affect more than, than what you are even aware of and what you, you're even kind of able to understand. Let me encourage you with this, that your life, your faith, your witness has the ability to travel beyond yourself and impact those that you might never meet. Paul's saying to them that your, your story, your faith, church in Rome, People are talking about it. They're hearing about it. They're, they're, they're aware of what you are doing and what you're going through. He also says to them that I, I have this affection for you. I have this deep desire to come and to be with you. And, and he says, I'm, I'm actually thinking about you all the time. I keep you in my prayers. I, I'm constantly sort of bringing you before the Father. I, I want you to see this, that he has a Christ-centered devotion, Paul does. And he has a pastoral heart. You see, many people see Paul's writing here and they think of it as just theological and they lose sight of the pastoral, the pastoral undertones that are throughout the text. Listen to me, it's not enough for you to grow into the knowledge of Christ and not have the heart of Jesus. You see, I want us to be the kind of church and the kind of people that are stretching our minds intellectually, that we're diving deep into the things of God. And we wanna know more uh, about, about God. We wanna know more about Christ. We, we wanna know more about what it is to follow Jesus with our whole life, not just a part of us, but all of us. But we never wanna do that at the expense of a tender heart. We never wanna do that at the expense of a pastoral heart. Listen to me, there are many people that study God theologically and do not know God in their heart. Maybe you found yourself in a season where you get to a place where you're kind of chasing, it's almost like a cat chasing their tail or a dog chasing their tail. You begin to just swirl around these questions in your mind and you think that the end of it all, the way that you find peace and the way that you find calm in your life is just to have enough intellectual prowess to be able to wrestle these concepts and these ideas down. I just wanna remind you of what we see in Paul. Yes, have an intellect that's robust, Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, studied under some of the greats, was a thinker, was a brilliant man, but never allowed his brilliance to supersede his tenderness, his heart towards people. What I want you to see in this letter to the church in Rome as we continue moving in the next few weeks ahead of us, I want us to keep in mind his heart for them is what's actually fueling the writing of this letter because he loves them because he cares for them. He loves them even though he hasn't been able to be around them yet. He hasn't, he hasn't spent time with him, but there's still this sort of affection. Why? Because he knows the, the influence that that place has. He knows the, the work that God's doing there. He also knows that it very well may be the gateway to him moving into Spain and moving into some other places to continue the, the work that God has, has called him to. He, he understands how pivotal this place is, his affection for it is, is deep. It basically says, he says, we may not be in person. We may not be sharing the same space, but it doesn't mean that I can't stretch you theologically. It doesn't mean that I can't sort of enlarge and, and, and stretch out all the things that you know about God. He wants their faith to be deep. And friends, we may not be in person yet, but it doesn't mean that we can't continue to grow deep, that roots can't be set in, that we can't be expanded uh, and enlarged. This is what Paul is praying and asking for God 
to do. Can I just ask you this simple question? You, you see, we see what Paul's been praying about. Paul's been bringing them before the Father consistently and constantly. If someone were to read your prayers, if you were to write your prayers out and someone were to read them, what do your prayers say about you? The things that you bring to the Lord, what does it reveal about your heart? What does it reveal about the things that you're fearful of? What does it reveal about the things that you cherish most, the things that you are concerned about? Ask yourself one, one further question is if, if God were to respond to your prayers, if God were to answer the prayers that you're praying right now, who does it affect? What sort of change takes place? Is it localized just to you, to your family, to those that you know? Or is there a sense that your prayers are actually able to cascade beyond your life and they begin to cover the lives of others? You see, we need to be mindful about the things we're praying about because the communication that we have with God matters. It's not just throwaway. It's not something we just toss to the side. There's a sense that our prayers are effective. Our prayers have the ability to to connect us to God and God then with us for us to be shaped and for God to hear from his people. God moves in response to his people's prayer. We see that throughout the scriptures and we see that Paul has this desire. He, he says to them, kind of the verse previous to this, he reminds them that they're loved by God. They're called to be the saints of God, the holy ones of God. He says to them that they are to receive grace and to receive peace. He's reminding them that he is over them and he's blessing them in the same sort of tradition as the Aaronic blessing that we see in Numbers. He says to them, grace and peace be to you. It's the same greeting that Jesus gives the disciples when they're sequestered in that upper room after resurrection. He comes into the room and he says, grace and peace be with you. And so what Paul is, is helping them to see is, is what his position is in their life. One that is concerned, but encouraging, but also one that's covering them in prayer. He reminds them that they're loved by God. You see this phrase in, in the text, and I want us to kind of look to it. You, you see it towards the end of it. It's this idea of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. That, again, another one of those sort of theological phrases that's tucked away here in the, in the letter to the Romans. And we sometimes read it and we pass by it and we're not quite sure what it means for us. And here's what I want you to kind of know about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God speaks to the divine attributes of God, meaning this, that he is righteous. So it speaks to the divine attributes. It speaks to divine activity, that he comes to rescue us. His righteousness is the way in which he saves, the way in which he comes to lift the burden and it's also the divine achievement. And the divine achievement is the salvation that shows and demonstrates that God is righteous. And then he bestows that upon us. Friends, I want you to see what saving truly means. The salvation of us wasn't just for God to, to kind of flex his muscle, but it was then to bestow that upon us. It wasn't about just showing the goodness of God and who God was but it was about making sure that we, his children, his people, found ways to be embraced by that righteousness as well. It is the attributes, the activity. It is the achievement of God that he bestows upon us. That's the righteousness of God. It is all of those things, but we see Paul really keying in and focusing in on that idea that God bestows upon us 
his righteousness. He doesn't keep it for himself as it's just his own sort of calling card or title, but he bestows it upon people. And you and I are the people that receive the righteousness of God. We receive it. He goes on to say it. We receive it from faith to faith. It starts, faith is our initiator, but it also leads us to more faith. There's a sense that your faith and my faith may begin as a mustard seed, but it actually may grow into being something much larger because it continues in this sort of cycle. You begin to gain momentum spiritually when you begin to kind of put one step and one foot in front of the other. You may have experienced this way where where there's a time and a place in your life where you're trusting God. Maybe you're trusting God for something. Maybe you're trusting God from something. But you find yourself, you know, putting that trust in God, placing, placing kind of the, the hope on, on Jesus. And as you do that and God shows himself faithful to you, what that does is it encourages you and it strengthens you. And now the next time that you have to have faith or the next time that you have to lean into where God's calling you, it's that much easier for you. It's moving from faith to faith. Paul says it another way in another part of his writing. He says, we're moving from glory to glory. There's a sense that your spiritual life gets momentum. It's why when you begin to kind of gain some of those spiritual wins, and here's what I mean by spiritual wins, when you begin to to not only know right, but do right, when you begin to live a life where those two things are connected, you begin to get a sense of momentum in your life. Can I just tell you that when I'm reading the Bible, I'm kinder. When I'm spending time in prayer, I'm actually more compassionate. When those things where there may be a gap in my life and when there's times in my life where that hasn't been consistent, can I just say to you, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a jerk. You can ask my wife. When, I, when I'm not in the scriptures, when I'm not thinking right and doing right, there's a sense that my life loses the momentum. It loses the sense of cadence in my spiritual journey that is in tune with the beat of heaven. So hear me on this. Some of you in your life right now, you know right, but you haven't been doing right. And you're wondering why you feel disconnected in your relationship with God. You don't feel as if you're moving from faith to faith. You feel like you're just kind of like tripping into something. And I just want to encourage you. What this is about, what Paul's saying to them and what Paul's actually saying to us here today, friends, is that there's a place where we've got to get a rhythm in our spiritual life. We move from faith to faith. If you're taking notes today, there's a couple things I want you to grab hold of that this text really reminds us and kind of puts to the forefront of our mind. You see that there is a worldwide community of believers. One of the things that Paul is, is, is showing them that their life is affecting other people. It's encouraging other people. And I want you to see and, and know that your life is the same, but Paul's also wanting them to know that when you get a bigger picture of God, you get a bigger picture of the church. See, some people, you were raised in an environment where it was basically you, it was your church and no other. You're four and no more, maybe is how you would say it. There was other churches down the streets, maybe other denominations, and they did things maybe a little bit different than the way in which your church did things. And you might not have said this explicitly, but it was definitely implicit that your church had it right and everyone else was just trying to figure it out. Maybe they would get into heaven. We laugh at the ridiculousness of that, but how many of us in seasons of our life, we've had a small view of God and God's saving deeds towards his people. We saw God was only for maybe a select few. You see, it's a sad thing when we trap God into some sort of box that we've created and we keep people away from God because it was, we're not able to actually view God through the broad lens that is 
who God is and what Paul's trying to do for this church in Rome in a way to unify them, a way to bring their differences, Gentile and Jew together, in a way to bring them and to have unity. He's letting them know you've got to enlarge the way in which you view and you see God and the way in which you do that will enable your church to have that larger view. Maybe friends, the reason why we have a difficult time loving a neighbor or loving who is supposed to be a brother and sister in Christ is because we actually haven't created enough space and room in our lives and in our minds for who God actually is. It's much easier to create an image of God that we're comfortable with than to actually get a full view of who God is. My prayer is that as we're moving through this letter, as we move through this this text in Romans, that we would actually come to a greater understanding of who God is and we would let go and even destroy the idols that we've created and called them God. You see, idolatry is fashioning something that we worship in place of God. And it is also worshiping an idea of God that is not congruent with who God actually is. Idolatry may be us worshiping a too small version of who God is. We create an idol, oh, that we would smash those to pieces and see that there is a worldwide community that God has called us to love, that God has called us to. Second thing I want us to see is a kind of a, maybe a difficult one for kind of us to get our minds around. Paul makes a real declarative and definitive statement in verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed for the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. Some of you might've grown up and you've, you've memorized that verse. That's a powerful one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to ask yourself is why does Paul feel the need to actually say that? Why does Paul feel the need to make a statement that he's not ashamed of the gospel unless there was actually reason for him to be ashamed of the gospel. See, what you have to remember is in Paul's background, who he was, the circles that he ran in, that he was an intellectual, that he was one that persecuted those that followed Jesus. He he was the, the guy on the other side of this saying that it doesn't exist. It would be the same as a person who spends their life and their ministry talking about how spiritual giftedness isn't something for the church. And then lo and behold, they actually then move and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. You understand if you are against something for so long and then now you become the leader of that thing, it sets you up for ridicule. It sets you up for people that used to be maybe your friends or used to be your colleagues. It it, it opens you up to almost intellectual assassination. Many of us have experienced that when we follow Jesus. There are people that are kind of looking at us going like, you believe what? I just want to say to you, we've got to get to a place where we recognize that the cost of the gospel, the price of the gospel here in our culture, it's actually on the rise. It's getting more pricey and more expensive for us to be followers of Jesus. So we're going to have to grab phrases and statements like this, scriptures like this one, and stand on it and remind ourselves that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of salvation to haul that belief but we're also gonna have to understand that there may be good reason for us to be ashamed because people may be attacking our intellect. They may be attacking um, kind of who we are. They may be attacking our character just because we love Jesus wholeheartedly and we desire to follow him. Hear me on this, friends. Why Why are some, why is there margin space for us to be ashamed? Let me just read some things that we actually believe that there is one triune God, not a plethora of gods, 
nor an impersonal consciousness at the heart of the universe. Friends, we believe that there is one God. We believe that the single most important event in human history throughout all of the world is Jesus's death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. We believe that Jesus's death was the atonement for human evil, not merely an example of human suffering. See, again, we have to be very, very careful the words that we use and what we talk about Jesus and how we talk about Jesus because what we may be doing is reducing the sacrifice of Christ to just suffering rather than the atonement for sin. We believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. We just celebrated that a few weeks ago, resurrection. And it's no empty metaphor for God's continuing cause. Friends, we believe that he was dead, buried, and raised again to life, that God has placed a human being, the exalted Lord, at the helm of the universe. We believe that Jesus is the only way to God, not that there are many ways to God. We believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a real experience, not the name that we give to our religious conscience. Do not reduce the Holy Spirit to just that still small voice in your heart. It is those things, but it is God. The Holy Spirit is speaking and leading and guiding, not just your conscience. That the church is the gathering of the saints for service to God, not just a religious society with backward beliefs and Victorian era morals. You see that high price of following Jesus, it's becoming a little bit more apparent to you now as you're hearing some of these things because now to follow Jesus, to have a biblically centered and structured faith is going to give margin for people to begin to take shots at you. And I just wanna remind you what Paul says. In the face of that same sort of onslaught in his culture and in his time, he reminds the Roman church who he had been praying for, who he was proud of, who he was longing to be near, He said, listen, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Don't get it twisted. They may say these things about me. There may be these stories about me in the street, but I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also believe that at the return of Jesus, every knee will bow, including every Jew, every Muslim, every Hindu, every atheist, every Scientologist, all the religions of the world. At some point, they will bow their knee at Jesus. And then there will be a final judgment, friends. Final judgment that after which will follow everlasting life or everlasting separation for every man and woman of the world. Listen to me, this is just a brief summation of the high big points of the pillars sort of in our faith that align with Orthodox Christianity. I just wanna say to you, friends, we live in a culture where we need to begin to stand on this word more and more in verse 19, friends, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's, a, if there's a verse that maybe you wanna memorize this week, it's this one. If there's a verse that you wanna help deposit into your kids, it's this one. Because when all else fails and everything else fades away, we have the word of God that we can stand on. So how, how, do, we, how do we demonstrate and prove that we're not ashamed Or how do we know when we're maybe acting as if we're ashamed? Because again, in our mind, we may say, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But then in our practice, in our creed, we say that we're not ashamed, but maybe in our deed, it doesn't sort of match up. And so I wanna offer some of these to you. I'm afraid of the gospel when I'm afraid to tell it. 
I'm afraid, I'm ashamed of the gospel when I'm unwilling to share it or declare it. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I'm too intimidated to uphold it. I'm ashamed of the God when I'm too lazy to teach it. I'm ashamed of the God when I'm too selfish to live a life worthy of it. And I'm too ashamed of the gospel when I make other things the center of fellowship. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I affirm any political, economic, or social position that denies what the Lord Jesus taught about the poor, the orphan, the sick, the elderly, or the homeless. Listen to me. We don't stand upon things and try to bend the gospel into those things. We stand upon the, thing, upon the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything else then has to bow its knee. To that, I'm ashamed of the gospel when I make excuses for the unchristian behavior of my heroes. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I spend more money on chocolate than I do on charity. Ooh, that gets us. I'm ashamed of the gospel when my social life becomes more important than my church life. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I spend more time on social media than I do in prayer and in the word. You see, friends, it's easy to say that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but when we take a proper inventory of our life and we begin to ask the questions and we begin to do the hard yards of the interior work and we begin to ask ourselves these questions, the reality is we may find ourselves more ashamed of the gospel than we actually realized. You see, many of us are very, very comfortable with the idea of the gospel but we are not comfortable with the command to live out the gospel and for our life to be centered and rooted on the gospel message. It's critical to Paul. It's critical for Paul as he's, as he's teaching and shaping this church in Rome, desiring to be unified in the same way that I want our church, that I want Hill City Church to be a church that is built on unity, that's built on a love for God and a love for people. The reality is this, is it has to be built on the full, whole, and true gospel. Not the portions that are comfortable or the portions that can make us popular, but the whole gospel. God, help us. Help us to embrace your word to us. Help us to stand on that word. You see, friend, right now, I wanna simply just ask you to respond in this moment. If you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are willing to make that step and that declarative statement here now, write that in your notes, nod your head, email us, let us know. Hey, I wanna follow Jesus with my life. Maybe for you, you've been saying that, but you haven't been doing it. But this is a moment where you make the decision. You make the decision to begin to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, both in thought and in action. Because what a dying world needs, a world that is searching for hope, what they don't need is our ideas. What they need is for us to actually be able to show the gospel to them through our lives. Preach messages with words, but live messages that are heard much truer and much louder with your life that is congruent with that message. I believe the preaching of the word. I believe the gospel demands a response. The response for us today is to declare to the Lord that we're not ashamed. The response today is to say, God, I'll follow you wherever, whenever. 
That the gospel, yes, it is salvation for my soul, but I can't keep it and tuck it away. The righteousness of God was not just something that Jesus used to give him more clout in heaven, but the righteousness of God was bestowed upon us so that the wholeness and fullness of all that Christ had done and fulfilled is now applied to us. So because of all of that, I can stand with my shoulders back and my head high because I recognize that I'm not standing on my own ideas, but I'm standing on the tested, tried, and true word of God. Friends, where are you right now? Do you need to make a decision to follow Jesus? Do you, make a, do you need to make a decision to begin living your life with more tenacity? Some of you are relentless in your professional fields. Yet when it comes to following Jesus, you fade into the background. Oh, that we would be the kind of church that takes the call to be a city on the hill seriously. To do the best with the light that we've been given and understand what that means. is that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're also not ashamed to live it in a way that those can see the very heart of Jesus. You see, it's not enough for us to simply talk about the theological concepts and to lose the pastoral sensitivity. That's what Paul calls us into, friends. When you decide to follow Jesus, when we decide to continue to grow in our discipleship, that's what we're saying. I want to deepen intellectually and theologically, and I also want to increase my ability to love and care for my neighbor. Friends, I'm inviting you into that here and now. Would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your word. Sometimes it's a hard word. Sometimes it's a sobering word. And so, God, I genuinely believe that there are people that you are dealing with them because what they've been saying about you has not been lining up with the way in which they're living. God, you're calling us into an obedience, a believing obedience, and that we would stand unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you on that point, Again, maybe you've never decided to follow Jesus and for you, this is that moment where you recognize, listen, there are things in my relationship with God that are broken and the only way to fix them is not my effort. It's the sacrifice of Jesus and I receive that, I accept that and I know that this is the first step of many. Maybe that's where you are today, friends. Maybe you're also here in this moment and you recognize that you have been professing with your mouth, you've been believing with your heart, but your life has not been living consistently with what you've been proclaiming. And right now, there's grace. There's grace for you. There's grace for you to move from faith to faith, to build that momentum in your soul, to live a life that is in rhythm with Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May you know that in the same way that Paul prayed without ceasing for people, may you know that's the same call that's on your life. 
for there to be a group of people, for there to be persons that you are praying for, that you are calling out to God on behalf of. But may you also know that the private devotion that you have is not to cancel out the call of your life to actually have public professions of your faith as well. So may your prayers in private be lived in public and may both of them be an offering unto God that is pleasing. Grace and peace, church. We love you so much. Thank you again for tuning in today. Uh, I'm just loving this uh, collection of sermons on the book of Romans. And as we're seeing, the book of Romans is all about what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, we wanna come alongside you on that journey as a church. Whatever we can do uh, to help serve you uh, on your journey with Jesus, please can reach out to us and let us know uh, so that we can walk this path together. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.